Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. How awesome is our God? Very awesome, yes, beyond comprehension. Praise him for his goodness. So just a reminder that after service, if you'd like to pray, please come up to the front and there will be someone to pray with you. Um, we, it's so awesome that we can lift our voices in praise, not to, the, to one another or to the, the ceiling, but to God who hears us, who draws near, who fills us with his spirit and has given us his son. How, how blessed we are to have faith in an awesome God. Let's pray. God, you are so glorious and good. Thank you for opening our eyes to see you. Thank you for calling us, for giving us your word and this opportunity to read it together, to draw near to you in faith and pray that we would have that faith that was seen in Abraham who believed you, who obeyed you. And may we enter into the blessedness of your promises and your presence. Just pray, Lord, you would minister to each one of our hearts and that we would see you clearly. We'd have a better understanding of your grace and goodness to us and apply it faithfully to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Up till now, in the book of Genesis, we focused on the glorious works of God in creation, that he created the earth and all living things, and the sun, moon, and stars, plants, animals, mankind in his own image. We've spoken of the global flood of Noah, the scattering of people at the builders of Shinar, uh, with the birthing of countless languages at Babel. We've traced genealogies from Adam Noah and Shem to a man named Abram. And we're going to talk about Abram for many weeks uh, because this historical narrative, it becomes personal. Just zeroes in on this man, this father of faith. And it's so awesome that God is willing to reveal himself, and he does, to people who don't know him and people who are not seeking him. He shows himself to them. And it's true that all of us who know God, we only know him because he has revealed himself to us. He, he took the initiative to show himself to us, and by his grace, he helped us respond to him. So we'll be in Genesis chapter 12, if you'll turn there in your Bibles. There's, I think, a, a persistent misconception that those who have genuine faith in God, they're not prone to mistakes like other people. That, they, that, that we, when we do see an error, we're obliged to justify or cover up their flaws and, and kind of explain away, well, try to look on the bright side of things. But God didn't call Abram because he was an upright man. He was an idolater. It wasn't because he was seeking God that he called him. God called him and he sought God. God didn't make promises to Abraham or give him commands because he's like, in all the world, there's one man who will obey me. No, that's not why he called him. It was out of his grace and goodness that he revealed himself because God was going to make Abraham, Abram, Abraham, a person that he could never be on his own through efforts of the flesh. And we tend to put people we respect on a pedestal Instead of glorifying God, who's gracious to respect any sinner who calls out to him and seeks him. And our admiration, it can easily morph into an idolatry where we admire a person rather than worshiping God who deserves all praise and adoration. Through regular people, a person like Abram, God shows us what real faith looks like. We get to see this. The one who has faith in God, believes his word, and obeys him. Simple as that. 
doesn't mean that you're perfect. Abram wasn't and neither are we. And praise the Lord, we have examples of faith around us where we can take note of that and look to the Lord. Genesis 12, starting at verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Lord God initiated a relationship with Abram by speaking to him. He spoke to him and then appeared to him. In Acts 7, Stephen said to the Jewish rulers that the God of glory appeared to Abram when he was in Ur before he dwelt in Haran and said, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And it was a command connected to many promises. God had plans for Abram and he gave him a command. And once he obeyed, he continued to reveal himself to him. And these were things that Abram never likely aspired to. He never dreamed that God would make of him a great nation because people in those days, they were, they were divided by, as we've read previously, by their languages, by their families, by their nations. To a man who had no children, God said, I will make of you a nation. It all began with God and one person who had trusted God, demonstrated by obedience. And this leaving of country and family, it was not common, and it's not very common today either. People were separated by families and languages. And God says, Abram, leave everything you know, the people you're familiar with, the family that you love, the business you're successful in, and go to a place that I'll show you. He doesn't tell him where he's going. He just says, go where I show you. And he had every reason to stay. He only had one reason to go. That's because God told him. That was the only reason. He was very content where he was. He had everything. He was a, he was a wealthy and a man who would grow more wealthy. And I'm sure that this lack of information prompted a lot of questions. I mean, if God said that to you, would you have questions? Like, well, where will I go? How will I know the right way? Who do I talk to? How will this happen? What are, what's going on? Why? Right? We have a lot of questions. How could I be a great nation? But Abram had all he needed to know what to do because he knew God and God told him. So he said, leave your family, leave your people, and go where I show you. And he had faith that ex was expressed in obeying God without question. We don't read of Abram asking a question. I'm sure he had them. But he doesn't ask. He did. The sun and moon that he may have worshipped never spoke to him, but the God who created the sun and moon did. And Abram responded to that believing he would fulfill these promises. And he said, I'll make you a great nation, that I'll bless you, make Abram's name great, and that he would be a blessing. And I love that. It's like, I'll bless you and you will be a blessing. And only God who is most blessed can do this. Bless us and also make us a blessing to others. This is a, a term we use quite often where we say, you know, we ask, bless me or bless you. 
But what does it really mean? Well, it's connected with happiness, prosperity, favor in the present and future. The priestly blessing in Numbers 6, 24 through 26, it details some aspects of blessing from God. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. To be blessed is to be kept safe, is to be prospered, protected by God, to have his kind attention, have his grace, to be seen by him, to be known by him, and that he gives enduring peace. And God also said, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I mean, that is a pretty massive promise. Enormous. He believed God. And the New Testament, it sheds light on that far-reaching eternal blessing of Abram, as Paul wrote in Galatians 3, 8 and 9. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. The blessing that Abram was given by God, we enter into through faith in Christ. That we are blessed by God and can be made a blessing. Praise him for that. Continuing in verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the pos their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were then in the land. Abram went from Ur, as we saw last week, northwest to Haran, and he departed Haran for Canaan in obedience to the Lord. At 75 years of age, so he's not the young, a young fellow. And the text mentions Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was obedient to God, but not completely without fault, as we see that God had said to leave your people, leave your family. And Abram took Lot with him. His obedience was partial, but God remained faithful. And this is a really important concept that we need to grasp. Not for us to justify disobedience before God and say, well, Abraham, he, 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 only, he didn't fully follow, but he was still totally blessed. And so it does, I don't need to follow or obey God fully. No, no, it, we should never use this as an example to follow as far as his failure. But to know God remains faithful, not based, his promises remain true regardless of our performance. We should be grateful and thankful to God who is merciful. It's like parents of little kids learning to walk. They're not expecting their child to run a marathon. They're not expecting them not to stumble and fall occasionally. Not to say, you're not my son because you can't even keep your balance. No, you, you still love that child and you care for them, provide for them. Abram took that step of faith to depart Haran as God commanded. His faith was faultless. That's the part that was faultless and acceptable before God. Proverbs 10, 12, it says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. God loves it when people trust and obey him. 
when they hear him say something and they do it believing that he told them to. The bottom line is Abram believed and obeyed God even though he wasn't perfect. I don't care if you bake or cook or sew or do gardening or design things or build or you know, have that custom kitchen exactly to your specifications. There, you'll find there's always room for improvement. Have you found that to be true? Like, well, if I could, if I could do it all again, I might change that. I might tweak that a little bit. And then even when it seems perfect, there's ways that we could think, oh, it could be better. And you've done your best. We're not nitpicking here to observe the fault that God tells us about in Abram. He's seen fit to reveal it to us so we can better understand God's character and his grace and mercy and recognize our need to obey completely. And we sin if we mock or scorn others for their mistakes as if we are not weak and sinful ourselves. When Abram took Lot along, God noticed. God noticed it. And that's the thing that we need to take to heart here. Moses recorded this for future generations. There would be a lot of strife and struggle as a result of Abram's error. Yet God would also use it for good and build godly character in Abram. There's always negative consequences for sin. By God's grace, he can bring good out of the worst. He can bring blessing out of what seems and is bad, something that's terrible. And even when we make a faithless decision, God remains faithful. So I want to exhort you to look to the character of God and his faithfulness, that what he says he will be faithful to perform. His word remains true. So Abram, Abram took Sarai, Lot, all the possessions. It says the people they acquired in Haran and departed for Canaan. The King James says the souls they had gotten in Haran. And that suggests that this was more than just hired help or servants, but people who had been converted, people who began to worship God as Abram did. They were proselytes who came to believe the Lord God who revealed himself. And they wanted to travel with him. People who have genuine faith in God, it will lead to sharing that faith with other people who believe. Abram finally arrived in Canaan. He and his company came to a valley in Shechem. It's a fertile valley on the west side of the Jordan. So if you think about where the Dead Sea is and the Sea of Galilee up above, it's kind of in the middle to the west is where Shechem is. Modern day Nablus. And it says the Canaanites were then in the land. And we know that there was that curse placed upon Canaan earlier, that they would be inhabiting this area, that God would cause the descendants of Shem to inherit. Venturing into that territory was very risky. It's not something you would choose to do on your own. Because you've got all these possessions, you have wealth and goods, you have a caravan, and you're coming into someone else's territory where they have strength, where they have fortifications, where they all can speak the language that you don't speak. Abram was a long way from home, and he hadn't coordinated his move. I think about when I came to Australia, there was a lot of calling. There was a, a, a visit or two before I actually moved here. There were people here that knew I was coming. I was picked up by someone from the church at the airport. 
And then there was someone who said, you can stay at our place for a while. Like there was some coordination that happened. So I wouldn't be like on the street, but there, there weren't any streets and he's just rocking up with a caravan of goods in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a foreign land. He didn't even know where he was going, his final destination, but he wasn't alone because God was with him. Verse seven, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. You see his obedience to God being followed up by additional revelation from God. And that order is really important. Abraham, Abram is obeying God and God continues to reveal himself more to him. He, he gives some promises. God appeared to him and said, I'm giving you this land to your descendants. Again, a hard saying because he didn't even have a descendant. He says, this is your descendants land. I'm giving it to them. He wasn't deterred from trusting God. He built an altar to the Lord. That word altar, it means a place of slaughter or sacrifice. To build an altar was a public affirmation of belief in God's promise. It established the worship of the true God in a heathen land, a place where people did not know God, where they didn't follow God. And he offered it to the God that he worshiped. The last time building an altar was mentioned in the Bible was 400 years prior when Noah built an altar after he exited the ark. We don't read of Ham, Shem, or Japheth building an altar, but here's Abram, an idolater from Ur in Canaan, building an altar to the Lord and calling upon his name. I have no doubt that if that altar remained, it would become a shrine to remember Abram to commemorate him when it was constructed to give glory and honor to God, pointing to God who promised and is faithful. So he moved south. He continued moving south on a mountain east of Bethel, west of Ai, other cities that we'll talk about as we go through Genesis. And it says he built an altar to the Lord and called upon his name. And this is a huge step. This is really a landmark occasion because every other time Abram did something, it was directly because God did something, right? God speaks to him in Ur, leave your, leave your, he appeared to him, leave your family, leave your country, go where I show you. He went to Haran, ended up now um, in Canaan. God appears to him. He builds an altar, but here there's nothing that God did before he just called on the name of the Lord, believing that he would be heard by him. So this is a really big step. He initiated worship of God without the confirmation of a promise or God's appearance, not because he was in trouble, just because of faith in God, that where he was, he believed God would hear him, that he had been in a valley before, now he's on a mountain and he calls to the Lord. He believed that God would hear him, that God would receive his offering. Do you do this? Do you call out to God? Do you seek God? Do you wait on the Lord? And we're able to do this because of what Jesus has done for us on Calvary. 
He's risen. He's ascended to the Father. He lives to make intercession for us. And Abram didn't have the theology or the word that we have now printed and for us that we can read. And in purity of faith, he called upon the Lord, the God who had re- appeared to him and spoken to him. Now he responds freely by seeking the Lord. I love it. That he sought the Lord right where he was in the middle of nowhere on some mountain. Just asking, do, do you have faith? Do I have faith like Abram? Do you call on the Lord when you haven't heard from him lately? And seeking the Lord and calling upon him is something I really want to encourage and, and cultivate in the fellowship. That our times of prayer and praise will never be what they could be unless we're seeking the Lord and praying on our own. When we're not gathered together, when we're not in, in actually worshiping the Lord with song or within these walls, that we would be seeking the Lord. We would be calling out to him. We'd be offering ourselves as living sacrifices to him because he's worthy. He's the one who's revealed himself to us. And it's your prayer of faith in God that he hears. Not that someone with faith in God who prays with you or over you. It's your prayer that he is listened and attentive to. He listens. He notices. He cares. God revealed himself in a valley. Abram's worshiping him out on the mountain. And such a wise example for us to follow. Genesis 12 verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Okay, well, those who have faith in God... There are circumstances we can face that will deter, perhaps even undermine us from walking in the light of God and faith in his goodness and promises. So when he arrived in Canaan, he said, this is the place. This is the land I'm giving you. There's building of altars. There's calling on the name of the Lord. Then a famine hits. Food is scarce in this land that God had called him to go to. Like he had gone all that way to arrive here. And now that he's there, there's a famine. And he's thinking, hmm. And usually a famine can happen because there's a lack of water. So there's no water. There's no crops. Animals are getting sick. Weak. Starving. And Abram, it seems, without any thought of God or his promises, decides to leave the place where God called him to go and to go down to Egypt to live. And he's hearing the cries of hungry animals, of his servants, the complaints of concerned people, like, what are we going to do? There's no food here. We've got nothing. Hmm, okay. Well, we're going to go down where there is food, to Egypt. And as they approached Egypt, Abram 
hatches this plan for self-preservation out of fear because he knew Sarai was a beautiful woman. And when they entered the kingdom of Egypt, they had a king and he would be under the rule of that king. And a king can do whatever he wants. There's no one that can say no when you're under his rule and under his authority. It's like no one can stand in their way. If they want something, they take it. And if you complain about it, you might be a threat and they'll kill you and then take everything. So he's like, I got to be a little careful here because they'll just off me and take you. So I'm going to hide behind your beauty. Just say you're my sister, which was partially true. We read in Genesis 20, 12 that they had the same dad, but different mothers. As we've stated before, this is before the law was given, before there was any outlines of what is incest or sin. But Abram's intent in saying, you are my sister, it was obviously with intent to deceive, right? He's trying to find the good grace of Pharaoh without posing a problem and uh, saving his life. And how often this can be true, that we trust our own plans and our own understanding not waiting on the Lord to supply provision or guidance where he's led us. Like he's led us to a place, but when things are hard and we can't see any fruit, we say, well, I'm going to go where there is fruit. I'm going to go somewhere other than here. It's like God leads us to Canaan and you say, yeah, it's, it's all right, but it's not meeting my needs. I need to go somewhere else. So there's the subtle departure now of walking with faith in God. He still had faith, but he wasn't walking according to it. And if this can happen with a relationship with God, it can happen in ordinary circumstances of life. We can begin well by the spirit, by receiving Christ, by being born again, but then try to do through the effort of the flesh what can only be done by the spirit. We receive the gospel and we can revert back to, to works as a measure of our righteousness and judge others rather than receiving God's grace and walking in righteousness. I, mean, I remember as a kid in a youth group that during the Sunday night service, our youth leader said, you know what guys, I'm not seeing any fruit here. I'm out of here. And he left halfway through the service because he wasn't seeing what he wanted to see out of us. And we were rat bags, but still, he just left. And we're like, oh, okay. So he, he's not seeing what he wants to see here. And that's like Abram. He, he's not seeing the fruit. He's not seeing any improvement of his situation. So he's gone. He's going to go down to Egypt where it's better. So he's going to go somewhere else. Abram wasn't seeing fruit in a famine, but is that too hard for God? We have so many examples in scripture that show famine is not a problem to God. His hand is not shortened that he cannot save how he brought the children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years, every day getting bread from the ground that they didn't bake, that God caused to fall. Manna, they ate it every day and were sustained. He gave them water from a rock to drink from. He blew, he blew quail in on the breeze for them to gather up. Didn't God help Elijah by sending him birds that were carrying meat? He drank water from the brook and he helped him when he went to that widow woman who was gathering up some sticks to make a, a last cake with some oil and flour and saying, well, this is our last meal. We're going to eat this and die because of the famine. 
And he stayed with her and they were sustained through the entire famine by the little, br- the little flour and the little oil she had in that pot. Because he said, God, God says, it's not going to run out. As long as we're here, together, we will live. God will sustain us. It was God who caused, caused the starvation at Samaria to end suddenly when the Syrians heard the sound of marching in chariots and they fled for their lives and they left behind tents of spoil that the people were able to eat and be satisfied. So this decision of Abram to go down to Egypt, it's not that we should follow that example, but to be admonished to keep walking in faith in God. If God had led him to Egypt, great, go. That's not what we see here. Verse 17, but the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. As the brother of Sarai, Abram had been wined and dined, right? He had the king's favor. He was receiving all these gifts. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house because of Sarai. Now, we're not told what these plagues were. There was a clear correlation, though, between uh, Sarai being taken in and these plagues happening. So it seems like uh, the king did due diligence to look into the matter and found out that, okay, something's up with this. And we read that ancient Egyptian history, it's riddled with idolatry and cultic practices that they, they worshiped many gods and all these gods were powerless to protect them from the living God, the God that Abram served. So finally, Pharaoh investigated the cause and he pegged Abram and he confronted him. He, he rebuked him and he says like, what is this you've done? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? I, I could have taken her under my harem, but you know, take your wife and go and No response from Abram. I mean, what can you say? He had lied. He had deceived. And he deserved this stinging rebuke by this heathen king. God in his mercy intervened to prevent disaster. Abram, he intended to deceive. Pharaoh intended to take Sarai into his harem, but both of their aims were divinely frustrated. They both had an angle here and God's like, no, (laughs) he he ended that. The plagues were of God. And so this rebuke to it, it prompted Abram to trust God only. Abram assumed the worst of the Egyptians when they were more honest and gracious than he, right? Who is more honorable in this case, Abram or Pharaoh? Pharaoh, he was more honest. And he commanded his people concerning him, sent him away with all that he had. He didn't take all his stuff back. He didn't punish Abram in any way. He sent him on his way with everything he had given him. Consider the grace and goodness of God to return his wife to Abram. Like he had, this almost destroyed the ability of that promise to come true because it was going to be through Sarai that he would have that son in the future. 
So God did not renege on his promises. He didn't go back. They were contingent upon his goodness, not Abram's faithfulness. Like it's because of the goodness of God that he intervened here and he, he spared him from disaster. There are some pretty interesting parallels between Abram's stay in uh, Egypt and Jacob's stay, his descendant, years later. That it was famine that caused Abram and Jacob both to go into Egypt. God showed his supremacy over all the idols of Egypt with mighty plagues. The Egyptians were plundered by Abram and Jacob, Jacob's descendants, and when they left, they were enriched by flocks and herds and servants. Now, at this point, people say, well, hold on, wait a minute. Abram deceived Pharaoh, who was plagued, and Abram prospered for it. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem very fair. Like, when is he going to actually get his lesson? Like, be taught something. And you might be tempted to accuse God of wrong, that He's aiding sinners and punishing the innocent. But that's wrong on all counts because God cannot do evil, nor is he tempted by sin. God did not cover up for Abram. It was laid bare in front of everyone. He was rebuked publicly for his deception. And he was chided by this heathen king who proved to be more honorable than him. Now, while Abram increased his net worth during this stay, he likely received the maid Hagar from this because he got male and female servants. And we know the strife and difficulty that she brought into that household with the, the, the bickering and problems between her and Sarai and her son. Pharaoh had an introduction to the holy God, the almighty who plagued him. Who, he didn't know God, but now he did. He knew of his power and his ability to, to plague and to heal and restore. And Abram, he also was taught this valuable lesson to trust God, to rely upon him, not to go down to Egypt for help, but to look to the Lord. God's promise stood. So he's not rewarded for his sin and Pharaoh's not punished for his ignorance. But God redeemed the situation to draw all people to himself, that they would know him and trust him and walk in his ways. And such a good lesson for us as we read this passage, that it's foolish to try to deliver ourselves from trouble with lies and deception. Even people of faith can make foolish decisions. See, God's looking at the heart. While, while we often focus on faults, God recognizes and rewards faith in him. That's what he looks at. Do you trust me? Will you obey? We see a fault in someone and we wonder if they have faith, right? We wonder, is their faith even genuine because of the things they're doing? God's the only perfect father and uh, Jesus is the only perfect son. He had fears. He had flaws that hindered him from exercising his faith. But rather than rating ourselves or measuring ourselves against Abram, or according to our judgment, we ought to look to examine our own hearts and to measure ourselves against God's word and his worthiness to be trusted and obeyed. Right? Look to the Lord. Examine your own heart to see if there be any way that would depart from him and lean on your own understanding. Please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8, where we read of 
Abraham, who once was Abram. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abram was called to leave his homeland and abandon all hope of inheriting the family home, the family business, the family uh, that he had, had grown up with, and go to a strange place that he didn't know. So it's like he had all this stuff that he could see, where he's like, all this could be mine. And God says, leave all that and go where I'm going to show you, where there was nothing, where he had nothing. He was living in tents. He wasn't living in a house anymore. And his faith in God was demonstrated by his obedience to God, that he went. And he became intimately acquainted with God. He wasn't a perfect man, but he had faith. And he showed it through his obedience. And faith always takes obedient action to what God has said. It believes God and obeys him. Now, God may not command you to leave your homeland. He might. But we know that God has already given us many personal commands in his word, in the person of Jesus as well. I started looking through the Sermon on the Mount and just kind of looking through what are the, the directives that Jesus gives? Like, be reconciled to one another. Cut off from your life the thing that makes you sin. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Give to those who ask. Love your enemies. Give without fanfare, without making a big deal about what you're doing, to pray privately to the Lord, to forgive one another, to lay up treasure in heaven. Faith in Christ means that we look to the home that we can't yet see, a home in the heavens where he is preparing a place for us. Well, that's where our inheritance is because he, God, is our inheritance and we are his. That's where we're heading. Abraham didn't see any cities with foundations built by God in Canaan because that was still to come. And though we haven't yet seen those pearly gates, we know that one day we will go there because God will bring us to himself when we trust in him. See, he's going to be faithful to his promise when we have faith in him. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Abram had this inheritance of land that he was offered and he had this promise of being blessed and being a blessing. And as believers in Christ, we are part of that glorious heritage to be blessed and to be a blessing. And we have this living hope, the scripture says, an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away. It's reserved for us. And as God kept Abram and Sarai safe 
in Egypt, so God keeps us by the power of God through faith for salvation. See, faith isn't so much us holding on to God, but him holding us. He's the one who keeps us. He preserves us according to his grace and mercy. So let's trust in the Lord. Let's look to him. Let's cry out to him. You haven't heard from God? Well, call out to him. Seek to obey the things that he said in his word. The blessedness of faith to those who trust him. I mean, God has given us righteousness by grace through faith. God keeps us. God saves us. God's doing all this. How we can rejoice and celebrate his goodness, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So merciful, so faithful. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for giving us your son. Thank you for giving us your word and these examples that we can really identify with because how often has our faith been faithless at times? We have leaned on our own understanding. We have not acknowledged you in all of our ways and we have, we have sought to deceive out of fear rather than trusting you, abiding in you, calling out to you, remaining in the place where you've called us. And so I pray, Lord, you would show us how to draw near to you through faith that we would rest in your promises, we would uh, be filled with your spirit, that we would rejoice and be grateful for how merciful you've been to us day after day when we have forgotten, when we have been foolish. You are still good and your word remains true. Your promises are sure. And so Lord, we return to you. We look to you. We cry out to you with praise. We cry out to you with thanksgiving. And we let our requests be made known to you because we know you hear us and will answer. Lord, I pray that you would give us insight into our own hearts, that we might examine ourselves and walk uprightly before you so that you would be praised and glorified. And many would come to know that you are God and there is no other in Jesus' name. Amen.